Welcome to the Sex and Psychology Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Justin Miller. I am a social psychologist and research fellow at the Kinsey Institute and author of the book, Tell Me What You Want, The Science of Sexual Desire and How It Can Help You Improve Your Sex Life. If you ask any sex educator, researcher, or therapist what the most common question they receive is, they're probably going to have a very quick answer. People ask us a lot of sex questions, and the same ones have a tendency of popping up over and over again. So in today's show, we're going to cover some common sex questions. For example, how much is too much when it comes to masturbation? Does penis size really matter? How do you tell your partner what you want in bed? How can you have an orgasm if you aren't sure whether you've even had one before? And should we really care about a partner's so-called body count? Let's talk about it. My guest today is Danielle Bezalel, also known as DB. She holds a degree in public health from Columbia University and is the creator, executive producer, and host of the Sex Ed with DB podcast. This is going to be an amazing conversation. Stick around and we're gonna jump in right after the break. Are you ready to take your career to the next level and become a certified sexuality professional? The Sexual Health Alliance's certification programs are here to empower you. From sex therapists and sex educators to sex coaches and couples therapists, Shaw's comprehensive and flexible programs streamline your path to certification. Learn from leading experts in the field and complete all of your necessary certification requirements in a self-paced, flexible online format. Most importantly, you'll gain the knowledge, skills, and credentials you need to excel in your field while connecting with an engaged community of professionals from around the world. Take your next step at Sexual Health Alliance. Visit sexualhealthalliance.com or check the show notes for the link. Okay, DB, let's talk about common sex questions you get as a sex educator. Now, as a starting point, I think the single most common question that I hear has to be, am I normal? And I hear people say that a lot in relation to their sexual fantasies and desires, but also in relation to their bodies. So would you say that's also kind of the top question you get, or is it something else? I would say that's for sure in the top three, but it's kind of related specifically to masturbation. I think a lot, Mm -hmm. a lot of people ask, I'm master, am I masturbating too much? I'm worried about the amount that I'm masturbating. Am I so weird for the amount that I want to be masturbating. Should I not be masturbating? I feel guilty about it. There's like a whole kind of rigmarole that people feel and express around masturbation. And then the other one that we get, I would say equally as often, if not more, is some version of am I pregnant? And I think that is totally fair that people are really worried. And they, again, we talked about this in the last episode, people don't know how pregnancy works. They aren't sure about the ways in which to actually know the answer to that. So they kind of panic and then they reach out to someone who they think might have an answer for them. Yeah. And I certainly get those questions as well. Not as many of the pregnancy ones, but, uh, (laughs) you know, definitely a lot of the masturbation questions. So in terms of those questions you brought up, you know, if somebody has a question about, am I pregnant? The answer to that is check with your healthcare provider or take a pregnancy test because uh, I can't answer that, you know, via email. It sure is. Yeah. And people don't know, though, that if the condom just broke, 
nobody has the answer to that question. Nobody can know if you are pregnant. More realistically, you should be asking yourself, do I want to be pregnant or would I be okay being pregnant? If the answer is no, you got to consult your healthcare provider about plan B or about Ella or about an IUD, an emergency contraception option, uh, because time is a ticking and you're definitely wasting it by asking someone on the internet if you're pregnant or not who can't help you. And I, it is really tough for me to be able to say that to someone like, I can't answer that for you. I really recommend that you get in touch with your healthcare provider as soon as possible. Again, here's a Planned Parenthood article that tells you how pregnancy works, but realistically people don't know that they're pregnant until weeks after unprotected sex. And so, that is a really tough one that is so common. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes there are also questions about is what I have an STD or STI? And, you know, again, sometimes these are things you just got to talk to your healthcare provider about instead of asking a stranger on the internet. You gotta. (laughs) The masturbation question is one that we can't answer, right? Mm -hmm. So I hear from a lot of people who ask the same thing, like, am I masturbating too much? Mostly hear that from men, not so much from women. But I have heard a lot of women who have asked me whether they're overdoing it with their vibrators, you know, and are they going to get addicted to their vibrator if they keep using it? So, you know, masturbation concerns can cross gender and sexual orientation lines. Anybody can can be concerned about it. But what are your thoughts on this? You know, is there such a thing as too much masturbation? Before I even answer that question, I want to break down where that question comes from for a lot of people. And so for a lot of folks who are asking that, many people grow up in these religious environments or conservative environments or taboo environments where it is not okay for them to talk about or experience pleasure as a young person. And so there are a lot of these messages that we receive as young people through our parents, through books, through our siblings, through movies, through TV shows, through every part of our society and culture that tell us that's gross, don't talk about it, don't do it. Of course, when we're making it a gendered conversation, girls are a lot more likely to feel that shame and stigma in reality when it comes to the messages that they're receiving compared to boys. However, people of all genders, including non-binary people, feel shame and feel guilt around masturbation. And so that's the beginning that I want to share. But when we get this question, there are a couple of questions that we follow up with or want someone to think through before we even answer the question, which is, number one, are you physically hurting yourself or harming somebody else with your masturbation habits? Usually the answer is no to that question. Okay, we'll move on to question number two. Are you foregoing your daily responsibilities such as going to work or picking your kid up from school or going to school or doing your mathletes group, whatever it is, like whatever that (laughs) daily responsibility is, are you not doing that thing and you're skipping it because you're masturbating? The answer is usually no. Are you feeling like you can't stop thinking about it? Like you're obsessed about it? Like you can't think of anything else other than masturbating? No, you're usually able to, you know, get up and do other things and what have you. Okay, if all of the answers to those questions are no, my response usually is go to town. Um, Because (laughs) I don't think people are told enough that, like, it's not only okay to masturbate, even if it's every day or twice a day, as long as those questions, you know, typically. and, And again, everyone 
is an individual. And if you think that you are causing any sort of psychological or physical harm, or you are worried, absolutely, I want to empower you to talk to somebody, whether that be your primary care provider or a mental health therapist or someone who you trust to talk about what's going on. Because again, it could really be that it's the guilt or shame or some other emotional or mental thing that you're thinking about and not the actual act of masturbating. It could just be the fear or the worry. And so the reason why I say go to town is because I think that masturbation and pleasure should really be celebrated. I think that there are, albeit not enough, studies that show that masturbation has a plethora of positive health benefits, such as lowering stress and anxiety, helping with sleep, making someone feel more confident or positive about their body. There are a lot of ways that masturbation helps us. Uh, It can also help us know what we want by ourselves and or with a partner for pleasure. And so I think that generally speaking, if folks are open to like shifting their mindset around what masturbation could really do for them, I really encourage that because I think it's such a wonderful thing and we need to really flip the whole thing on its head. Yeah. So odds are when it comes to the question of masturbation, you're probably not doing it too much. (laughs) Right. You're probably not. And again, if you're someone who's like, no, but I'm different and I am like, please like feel free, read up on it, listen to podcasts, hear other people talk about it because any behavior could be addictive. Uh, It's just whether or not you're feeling that way because of, again, guilt or shame or if something else is coming up and how to unlearn those thoughts. Yeah. Unlearning sexual shame is so important. It is. Now, let's jump to another topic. So another question that often comes up, this is the age-old question, does penis size actually matter? You know, we, classic. We hear this a lot. It's a classic question. And, you know, whenever I hear it, it's kind of difficult to answer in some ways because when you say, does penis size matter? Well, on an individual level, it does matter to some people. You know, some mm-hmm. people are colloquially referred to as size queens. Like, For them, bigger is better, and they say bigger penises provide more pleasure to them. So, you know, on that individual level, some people just do seem to care about it. But for most people, it doesn't seem to matter all that much, right? So what's your take on this? I think this is another thing that we have to unlearn and really start from the bottom and really think about why do we even care about this, right? If we are caring about this because messages and visuals in mainstream porn are telling us that we need to care about it, then we need to understand that people in porn are specifically picked for their parts and their skills, okay? (laughs) An amazing metaphor that Mia Little, a sex worker who I had on my podcast many years ago, gave around porn and the way in which people have sex in porn is if you're just learning to drive, would your parents give you a Ferrari or would they give you like my fucking 2000 Toyota Camry. Like what would they really give you? What parts are you really working with here? And so when we're thinking about when we're beginners at sex and when we're thinking about our own very normal parts, we're thinking that they are totally wonderful as they are. But if we are comparing them to people in porn, then we are always going to come out on the bottom. Because again, those people were specifically picked for their large breasts and their large penises and how many times they can fuck somebody in a day. And they are professionals. They are literal professionals at their jobs. And so if we're thinking about penis size for ourselves and we can kind of take porn out of the equation for a second, it is very understandable 
if you are a person with a penis who is a cis man, for example, who feels like, oh, well, my penis is small. Like, I'm not really sure that I'm going to be able to, if you're in a straight relationship, please a woman. People with vulvas and cis women don't usually come from penises anyway. Around 70 to 80% of people with vulvas need or desire clitoral stimulation in order to reach orgasm. So when we really break all of these pieces down and we really think about the fact that body parts are just that, they are body parts, they are ours, we have them for our whole lives, why not invest in loving them? Why not invest in finding a part of your body if it's not your penis? Maybe it's something else. Maybe it's your eyes that you really, really love. Really focus on the things that you love about yourself instead of over and over again beating ourselves up about the things that you don't love about yourself and really realize that the average penis size is probably smaller than you think it is. Like hard, the average penis size, I believe, is 5.2 inches in the U.S. or something like that. Most people have either around that or some are a little smaller, some are a little bigger. Just try to remember that comparison is a losing game and we need to really just invest in loving ourselves and the parts we really love a lot more. Yeah, so true. Especially the part about, you know, if you ask people to estimate what they think the average penis size is, on average, they think it's quite a bit bigger than it is in reality. So, you know, odds are when it comes to penis size, you're normal. And, you know, like I said, for some people, penis size might matter. And for other people, it doesn't. You know, another thing that's always important to think about with all of this is that not everybody is a sexual match for everybody else. And so if you're not a good fit in some ways, then, hey, you know, move on. There's somebody else who is a good fit for you. Exactly. And I think this idea that you need to have a big penis further perpetuates what isn't true, which is this idea that bigger penises equal better sex. In reality, good communication equals better sex. In reality, talking about desires and trying something new with your partner, if you're comfortable with it, makes for better sex. In reality, knowing what your partner needs in order to reach orgasm, if that's what they want, makes for better sex. So there are all of these parts to it that don't really include penis size at all. Yeah, so true. So another common question that often comes up is how to share a kink or fetish or fantasy with a partner. You know, a lot of us have desires for things that we want sexually, but we're afraid to tell our partners about them. Or maybe we just don't know how to tell our partners about them because we never learned any sexual communication skills, right? So what's your advice when it comes to sharing sexual interests? This one is so dependent, I feel, on the individual and the relationship that you're in, especially if we're talking about a newer couple. Say you've been dating for two months compared to a couple that's been together for 10 years or anywhere in between. This communication and vulnerability could look a lot different depending on how much experience that you've had together, also depending on the nature of your relationship? Are you monogamous? Are you monogamish? Are you opening your relationship? You know, so really take stock in like all of these pieces. And so take this advice with a grain of salt, depending on uh, where you're at, because you know your relationship best. But I do think that a couple of things need to happen before you have that conversation. I really urge folks to think through do they want to share this fetish or kink with that person because they think that by having that experience in their couple, it will be richer for them? Or do they feel maybe like 
oh, this is maybe like a weird thing that I have and I want to make sure that they don't think I'm weird? Like, or is it dependent on how you want them to react to you? Like, what is the motivation behind you sharing this? If it is the former and you really want to just experience this with your partner, say you've experienced it uh, when you watch it in porn or when you've read it in erotica or when you've had a past relationship and you think that it would be really fun and enriching to experience it in your partnership, I think it's really important to think about timing. Where are you? What is your setting? Are you bringing this up in like mid penetration or are you kind of like (laughs) setting the scene, you know, like maybe you're giving them a massage, maybe, you know, whatever it is that you're kind of wanting them to, to not maybe have an opportunity to get like super defensive or worried, you know, maybe it's like a calm environment after a nice day that you've had together or something like that. And I do think that starting with questions is a really good way to open up a conversation. So, hey, have you thought at all about like a new kink or fetish that you've ever like wanted to try with me? Like maybe open up the conversation that way. Maybe they have something that they want to say that you just haven't talked about before and that could open the door for you. Or you can ask them, hey, I have this idea that I really want to try with you. I think it would be really fun and sexy. Are you open to hearing about it? Whatever the thing is, if it's not fun and sexy, maybe it's scary and silly, whatever the adjective is that you want to try. (laughs) And then if they're open to it and they consent and they say, yeah, hit me, tell me, tell me what you, what you want to chat about. Then maybe you can introduce that kink or fetish and say, okay, like I know, like, don't, you know, you can be vulnerable and be like, "I, I don't want you to judge me, but this is kind of the thing that I'm thinking, or you can kind of really be honest about the thing that you're wanting to try. And you have to allow that partner to be able to have the processing time because maybe they've never heard about this thing that you like. Maybe they have more questions. Maybe they don't know if they want to do that. Or maybe you might get a reaction out of them that's like, I actually don't want to do that. I'm not interested in that. Maybe something you have no idea what's happened in their past, what they think, what they what they need to understand about that, whatever. And so as long as you're open to hearing that no, I think it's really important to give that person the time and space to think about it. However, more often than not, a partner that you're with, again, this really depends on how long you've been together and the nature of your relationship, they're going to want to try something with you. Even if it's not exactly what you recommended, maybe there's a a lesser version of that because they do want to give you pleasure and they do want to you know, bring that excitement. So be open to what that negotiation could look like and see it as the first conversation that you're going to have about this and not the last. Yeah. I think that's all great advice. And don't bring it up mid penetration. (laughs) (laughs) Not mid penny. You just never know, you know, you just never know like how people are going to react to things and, and like, it's okay if the conversation doesn't go well or it doesn't go how you anticipated. It's just important that we communicate about things that we want to be communicating about. Yeah. And sexual communication, like anything else, takes a bit of practice. You know, we're not going to be great at it the first time we do it, the first time we talk to our partners about sex. So, you know, it's something that does get easier over time, but you have to work on it. Totally. Explore your kinky side with Beducated. Their library of online courses features more than 100 hours of content to help you level up your intimate life and explore new sexual possibilities. Their courses can be completed individually or with a partner, and you can learn about a ton of topics, including kink and BDSM. 
For example, their Dominance and Submission course runs through everything you need to know, from consent communication and negotiation, to ideas for things to try, to aftercare. It's full of practical guidelines to help you and your partner get exactly what you want. The content is created by experts, and there's so much to learn. Try all of their courses today for free, and if you like what you see, you can get 50% off the yearly pass by using my last name, Laymiller, as the coupon code. There's also a 14-day money-back guarantee. Check the show notes for the link and be sure to use my last name to claim your discount. Enjoy. Now, something else people often ask about is what they call body count or previous number of sex partners. And I don't really like the term body count for many reasons, not the least of which is that it sounds kind of murdery. Like death. But yeah, it's just, it doesn't do it for me. But anyway, um, the question is often, does body count matter or should my partner and I share our body counts? What do you think? I think this is a question that more people, at least in my audience, ask when they are a little bit younger. Because I yep. think that in college or, you know, after high school is when most people are kind of starting to have sexual experiences for the first time. And again, we're I'm bringing up these kind of larger issues, but where, where do we think that this comes from? This comes from the idea of potentially slut-shaming women or queer people into feeling like they are not supposed to be sleeping around and having as many partners. And so while women are kind of not, cis women are not allowed to do that, men should be bragging about it. And cis men should be able to talk about how many people that they've slept with and that they're a player. And kind of there are these stereotypical ideas of, I think, where the background of these kinds of questions come from. And so personally, I do not think that, quote, body count or the number of people that you've had sex with matters so long as you are okay with that. I think if you're someone who is thinking about the fact that you haven't experienced all the things that you want to experience sexually because you're afraid of that number increasing, I encourage you to let that idea go because life is short. And as long as I can encourage you to use protection and be safe about sex, uh, about whatever, whatever that looks like for you emotionally, physically, mentally, again, go to town. I think like there are a lot of really fun partners out there who can provide you something really awesome. And finally, I want to say that that term is super like heteronormative, like cis heteronormative, because usually we're only counting someone, quote unquote, when we're talking about penetrative sex. And many queer people, especially people with vulvas who have sex with people with vulvas, if they're not penetrating, that means that they're not having sex. Like that doesn't make any sense. So I think like the whole idea of what counts as a number versus doesn't is not inclusive. And so I think we should just throw the whole thing away personally. <laughs> uh, but I understand that what what is behind this for people is like, am I a slut for sleeping around? Or is it bad that I want to sleep with a lot of people? Or is it bad that I haven't slept with enough people? And I think that wherever you're at is probably great. If you're wanting to meet more people and get yourself out there, please do it in a safe and fun way. And really try to let go of these expectations of what these numbers mean. Yeah. I think people think it matters more than it really does. Like, let's say you're in a relationship with someone and you're having great sex with them. And you later broach the subject of body count or whatever it is that people are calling it. If you found out that your partner had more partners than you did previously 
like, why would that have to change the way that you felt about your partner or the sex life or the relationship that you have? Like the fact that people will ascribe so much importance to this number is just kind of strange. And I think is often rooted in kind of insecurity and feelings of sexual inadequacy, especially when they find out that their partner has had more partners or more experience than they themselves did. Absolutely. And I'm thinking also that it kind of bleeds into this idea of monogamy and, you know, we need to be pure for each other or we need to be (laughs) the only people in each other's lives. And people have pasts and people have a lot of experiences before they even came into your lives. So I think that the room that that has to open up for jealousy and insecurity is maybe unnecessary. And if that, if those feelings are coming up for you, then maybe consider like, why am I feeling that way? Like, is that because I don't feel secure in this relationship? Is that because I don't feel secure about the number of people I've slept with and really try to, again, do work, I think, to unlearn what that means for you. Yeah, definitely. So let's talk a little bit about orgasms. Now, in all of the years that I've taught human sexuality courses for college students, I always give my students a chance on the first day of the semester to anonymously submit sex questions. And year after year, consistently stunned by the fact that there are so many folks asking about how to have an orgasm. And people listed their gender on the cards, and it was mostly women asking how they can have an orgasm. But there were also some men who asked how they could help a female partner have an orgasm. So what's the answer here? You know, if you're somebody who has never had an orgasm before, or you're not sure if you've had one, what do you need to know? Sex toys. Um, I think (laughs) that's like the two word answer. You're right. I get a lot of these questions too, and they are predominantly from women and people with vulvas. I think generally speaking, because many people don't experience any sort of fluid or, you know, something that necessarily comes out kind of how a penis does, then maybe it is more difficult, more challenging for a person with a vulva to determine whether or not they've had an orgasm. But I think because this is so body dependent and how each person knows if they have had an orgasm, they like know when they have it, they know how they have it, their body reacts in a really specific way. And so we we also get a lot of questions of, I think that I, I got it, but I'm not really sure. And so the reason why I immediately say sex toys is because sex toys were created in order to bring pleasure, usually pretty quickly for people with all genitalia. But when we're talking specifically about people with vulvas, when we are looking at toys that really focus on the clitoris, which again, is a lot of what is missing when we're talking about solely penetrative sex, if we're talking about a cishet sexual experience, then that focus on the clitoris and the use of the vibration and the power can really help bring about an orgasm. And I feel genuinely like with a sex toy, you know when you've had an orgasm because your body tenses, your uterus is contracting, your vulva swells. And so I think that if you're someone who is struggling, who's like, you know, either I know for sure that I have never had one of those. Maybe I've brought myself pleasure, but I have never reached any sort of peak like that. That's not my experience. Or if you're somebody who's saying, you know, I'm just not sure. Maybe I've had like a small one, but it hasn't really brought that much pleasure. 
get a magic wand and call me <laughs> after you've used a magic wand because that is one of the most popular sex toys for a reason. And it's because for decades, it has been bringing women and people with vulvas immense pleasure. Again, very, very quickly. I know personally, I'm able to reach orgasm with the magic wand within sometimes 10 seconds. And I think the use of a sex toy is such a powerful, literal tool to be able to grant yourself the power and the pleasure of an orgasm. And so if you still are struggling after trying various different kinds of sex toys, and again, maybe you're not a clit person if you have a vulva, maybe you do want like internal stimulation or penetration, or you want both at the same time. Maybe you need nipple stimulation at the same time. There's a lot of combinations that you can try, but there is for sure such a thing as anorgasmic, meaning unable to reach orgasm. And if you are thinking that you could be one of those people, I recommend getting in touch with a pelvic health specialist, a pelvic floor specialist, a mental health therapist, a gynecologist to really kind of figure out like, okay, what, what might be going on here? Because stress and anxiety and mental health absolutely impact whether or not we are able to reach orgasm. And so do other kinds of conditions like vulvodynia. And if you experience pain during sex, that's definitely able to impact your orgasm. So there, I'm saying a lot of stuff, but I hope it's all yeah. coming together with the goal of really check out sex toys if you haven't before. Yeah. Most people are able to reach orgasm. Yes, there are some people who have what's called anorgasmia. And, you know, if it's persistent difficulty or inability to have an orgasm, you know, it's important to speak to a professional about that to see what's going on. Because as you mentioned, there can be a lot of contributing factors. I interviewed a pelvic floor physical therapist on the show a while back, and we talked about how pelvic floor issues sometimes can be playing a role and why orgasms are absent. And it might just be that you're having them, but they're just kind of like very low-grade orgasms in terms of their intensity. And it's important to recognize, like, even within an individual, you might have various experiences with orgasms. Sometimes they're more intense, sometimes they're less intense. And mm -hmm. some people just might typically be at that sort of lower end of the spectrum, but there might be things you can do to amp up the intensity so that you know that you're having an orgasm when, when it happens. And right. I think you're right about sex toys. The nature of the orgasm you have can be different. I know I talked about this once on the show before. I used to think that vibrating toys like did nothing for me, um, but I got a toy once that recently, uh, you know, it's vibration and it, it comes with the promise of providing the closest thing to the female orgasm that the man can experience. Oh, and I'm wow. like, that's a pretty bold claim. <laughs> so I tried it. <laughs> I tried it. You know, you have to try it a couple of times that, you know, the first couple of times, nothing was really happening. And then I'm like, oh, like, this is a very intense, very different orgasm when it comes from vibration. And, you know, me being the good scientist that I am, like, <laughs> actually got to the point where I'm like, I need to pull out my stopwatch on my phone and, like, yes. see how long this is lasting. Like, actually collect the data. And, you know, the contractions from the orgasm could be up to 25, 30 seconds long. And I'm like, holy wow. shit, like, that is insane. Oh, yeah. Um, because I've never experienced anything quite like that before without that vibratory stimulation. So, yeah. Congratulations. Good for you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, sometimes it's a matter of just trying a different form of stimulation. Yeah. And, again, there are 
thousands and thousands of different kinds of toys out there, like really experiment. There are ones at really great price point. Just make sure that it's a body safe material and that it's a brand that you trust. And, you know, there are different kinds of rules around lube. If you're someone who uses lube, highly recommend using lube. You know, don't use a silicone lube with a silicone toy. It could, you know, cause bacteria to get into that toy. Or if you're using condoms, don't use oil-based lube. So there are all of these kinds of things that you want to make sure that you know and remember. But ultimately, when it comes to a toy, I guarantee there's something out there that you like. <laughs> yeah. If you haven't found it yet, you just need to look a little bit more. Keep looking. There's so many options. Now, we're running short on time, but I want to ask one more question from you. And it centers around how to have better sex, you know, because that's another common question that comes up. Like people will ask like, you know, sex that I have with my partner is good, but how can we make it even better or more pleasurable? So can you give us your top two or three tips on what people should know when it comes to having the best sex? I really like this question. And surprisingly, I don't really get it that often. I think people don't really write in as much as a, like on behalf of a couple. It's more of like an individual The first thing that I would say is if you're someone who's in a long-term relationship, really know that there are seasons of when you're having dynamite sex and when it can be really, really fun and you're really connected and can be really good and seasons of, yeah, that was, that was good. That, you know, that like got the job done. And so I do think part of what I would say, depending on your consistency, like on average, I believe the average, like cishet couple has sex like roughly once a week, something like that. Maybe it's a little bit less for people. Maybe it's a little bit more, but I do think the consistency of that, even if it's not sex, maybe it's like intimacy or connection. You're the researcher, so you have a lot more data, (laughs) I'm sure, offhand um, than I do. I think genuinely that when people make time at least weekly, ideally, you know, twice a week or something like that to connect, whether that be sex or going on a date night or cuddling on the couch or holding hands or a really long hug or whatever. I know the Gottman Institute talks about like a seven second kiss. Like there are all these different ways to connect with your partner. And I do think that that connection leads inherently to better sex and like to feeling more connected in the bedroom when you are connected elsewhere. And the second thing that I'll say is if you are in a hookup or a long-term relationship or anything in between, really, really good communication leads to great sex. So asking questions, figuring out what your partner wants, you sharing what you want, really understanding that there are so many different ways through kink and BDSM and fantasy and role play and positions and, you know, various kinds of ways that you can like spice things up. We just talked about sex toys, you know, bringing in a new toy. I think like really being communicative with your partner uh, or partners, depending on the situation, can often lead to feeling more connected and more people feeling like they're getting exactly what they want out of that sexual experience. So, you know, know that there are seasons and intimacy outside of the bedroom can lead to better intimacy inside the bedroom and really, really great communication are the two main things that I would say. Yeah, love that. And one other thing I would add to it is also maybe take some time to think back on what the best sexual experiences were for you previously and what was it that made them great, right? And if you can kind of think about those elements, 
then you can try and bring them into your future sexual experiences. Because maybe it was about when you were feeling really connected to your partner. And so maybe it really ties in with what you're saying there. It's about you need to do more to kind of get that connection going. Or maybe if it was about you having done something that was just totally different and it was really exciting to do that different thing, then you might just need to add more novelty, right? So if you can think about the past, that might help guide you in terms of where to go in the future. Totally. And I just, the last thing that I, that may be obvious that I want to add is like your individualness comes into the bedroom with you. Like if you are having a bad day or you are feeling depressed that week because of something that's going on or anxious or whatever, if you have an injury, right? There's like a lot that can happen that can make sex worse for us. And so by tending to your own garden, so to speak, and figuring out how to make yourself a whole happy version of yourself, bringing that to a sexual experience can only make it that much better. Yeah, definitely. Thank you so much for this amazing conversation, DB. It was a pleasure to have you here. Can you please tell my listeners where they can go to learn more about you and your work? I would absolutely love that. Thank you so much for having me, by the way. This was so fantastic. Uh, If you want to listen to Sex Ed with DB, check us out wherever you get your podcasts. Check us out at sexedwithdb.com. On Instagram, we are at sexedwithdbpodcast. On Twitter and TikTok, we are at sexedwithdb. And if you want to check out all the amazing discounts that we have, because we are sponsored by amazing companies, amazing lube, amazing sex toys, amazing butt and gut product companies, there's all of these amazing, amazing products, uh, go to sexedwithdb.com slash discounts and check out my codes. But yeah, thank you so, so much for having me. This has been so great. Thank you again for your time. I really appreciate having you here. And thank you to my listeners. To keep up with new episodes of this podcast, visit my website, Sex and Psychology, at sexandpsychology.com, or subscribe on your favorite platform, where I hope you'll take a moment to rate and review the show. You can also follow me on the socials for daily sex research updates. I'm on Twitter, or whatever we're calling it now, at Justin Lay Miller, and Instagram at Justin J. Lay Miller. Also, be sure to check out my book, Tell Me What You Want. Thanks again for listening. Until next time. 